Grab your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 21. We're going to keep working our way through this chapter. Last week we read about and talked about how Jesus went into the city of Jerusalem for the last time. The last week before his, his arrest and trial and crucifixion. And we talked about how he cleansed the temple. He went in there, he overturned the tables of the money changers, he drove people out of the temple, things we never see Jesus doing, but with great authority, he drove them out. He said that they were making his father's house a robber's den, not something that he wanted. So then, because of this, he has a confrontation as if he needed another reason to have a confrontation with the Jewish leaders. He has yet another confrontation with them, and they demand to know who gave him this authority. And he says, well, you tell me who gave John the Baptist his authority. And they would not answer him. So he said, well, I'm not going to answer you either. But he continues in the rest of this chapter to talk with them through parables about some very serious things in their lives. Before we dive into it, we're going to read, we're going to pray, we're going to dive into the continuation of that story. Let me just give you something to, to be thinking about in the back of your mind. We often talk about how God sees us, right? Jesus came to the planet, actually as a little baby, He grew up in a family. He experienced all the things you experienced growing up. Uh, Even your limitations, your temptations, even things that you suffer in. Ridicule, whatever. Jesus experienced all these things. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. And He cares about you. The thing we don't often talk about that we also see in this chapter is that God sees the wicked. He sees them, and he's going to deal with wickedness. So we're going to look at that together today, and then we're going to talk at the end about a few reasons why it's important for us to understand and realize that God sees the wicked. So please pray together with me. Dear Lord, we are just so thankful for this time again to be with family, Lord. To just love one another and and hear each other's hearts pray together. Just be together, Lord. It's refreshing. Thank you for it. Lord, we do pray again for those who are missing, those who are sick or away. And we just ask you, Lord, to bring them back to us quickly. Uh, meet Meet their needs. Heal their diseases, we pray. But Lord, for this time in your word, we do ask you to take charge of it. As always, Lord, would you be our teacher? Lord, would you make a difference in our lives because of the things we examine together today, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, start with me at Matthew 21. Actually, let's read verse 27 again. That's where we ended last week. Uh, They answered, they said, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? 
a man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which one of the two did the will of his father? Well, the Pharisees are very intelligent. So they process this very quickly. And they say, the first. Okay, that would be the one who said, I'm not going. But later he regretted it and he went. So they're agreeing that obedience is the key. Not necessarily what, what he said at first, but obedience is the key. Well, they didn't know where Jesus was going with this little story, but he immediately explains it to them. Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Now stop there for a moment and just notice, this is an extremely strong rebuke from Jesus to these Jewish leaders. I mean, here they are. They are the religious elite over the nation of Israel. They have got on their perfect, beautiful robes. They have checked all the boxes, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. They are wearing God's word either on their forehead or their arm. And they are saying that they are righteous in God's sight. And Jesus says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to get into heaven before you. Wow. Wow. That is a pretty strong rebuke. In other words, Jesus would be saying to them that they are the second group. They're the ones who said, I will, sir, but they didn't go. And you're going to see this repeatedly in the next two chapters as Jesus, for two and a half chapters, is actually dealing with these men. And, and over and over again, he basically points out to them that, yes, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, something entirely different. So they're like the, the son who said, yeah, I'll go. But they didn't go. <clears throat> Jesus goes on to explain, For John came to you in the way of righteousness. Now remember, he had just earlier asked them, what authority was John speaking with? So he takes the conversation right back there. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Okay, he's a man sent from God, spoke with great authority from God, and these leaders did not believe him. They did not listen to him, especially when John pointed out who the Messiah was. And as a further rebuke, look at what else Jesus says. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterward so as to believe him. In other words, the sinners saw John the Baptist, and they were convicted by it. And they were like, wow, we need to get our act together. We need to start making some changes. And even after that, the Jewish leaders didn't repent. They kept on the same course that they were going on. And of course, by this point, they're even out to murder the Lord Jesus. They're making plans 
right in these chapters, they're making plans to arrest him and crucify him. So in this passage, we learn a few things, a lot of things, but one is that obedience is the key, right? Obedience is the key. So whether it's early or late in your life, you know, maybe there's a time in your life when you said no to the Lord. You said, no, not interested or whatever, you know, but you still have an opportunity, right? Wherever you are at on this journey, you have an opportunity to to open up your heart to the Lord, whether it's early or late. Please take that opportunity. Another thing that we see here, and we're going to talk more about that first one in just one second, but we see that God sees the wicked, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, that he is not fooled by them. Okay, the, the religious apparel and appearance that these Pharisees are putting forward. Jesus is not tricked by this. And God, our Heavenly Father, is not tricked by the things in our world. He sees the wicked. So I want you to consider that first idea again, that obedience is key. Turn with me, if you would, quickly to Isaiah chapter 55. Good practice, right? Learn where all the books in your Bible are. Isaiah chapter 55. Someone won. Some... <laughs> Give them a gold star. All right, Isaiah 55. Start with me in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Now stop there for just a second. Of course, we believe that he can always be found. And he's always near. So what, do you, what is this saying? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I think it's referring to you and me. Seek the Lord. Respond to the Lord when you hear his voice. When you, when you sense that he's knocking at the door of your heart, like Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. When you sense that he's there, that's the time. To respond to him. Because there may come a day when you no longer hear the knock. As has happened in so many lives. I could tell you multiple stories of where God was working in a person's life, but there comes a point at which the heart becomes so hard, so cold, the, the calluses are so thick, you can't hear from him anymore. And so this says, seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. You know, I heard, I read actually a story just this week, and I forgot to write the, the man's name down. Uh, but this guy who was very wealthy, he goes into this church, and he has an experience there like he has never had before. Felt God was speaking directly to him. But writing about it later, he said, but I had this thing I'll just call the, the gloom of grace come over me. Where I thought, well, you know, if it's wrong, if it's wrong, I'll, I'll look like an idiot to all my family and all my friends. So I'm not going to do it. And so he didn't respond to the Lord. And years later, 
uh, he was regretting that, that he never had and probably never would because his heart had just become that cold to the things of God. So seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. He will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. It doesn't matter what you have done or what you have thought. God will forgive if you will turn to him in repentance and faith. It's as simple as that. He, what does it say? Abundantly pardon. Right? God's grace is Plentiful. It is enough. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners because I persecuted the church. He actually had Christians arrested and put to death. But God forgave him. God forgave him. So God will forgive. Go back with me, if you would, to Matthew 21 and let's check out another thought. Uh, because Jesus continues. He didn't stop with just that one parable. Okay, he, he tells them, you didn't even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe John the Baptist. But he says, listen to another parable. Verse 33. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. Okay, that was pretty quick. So I want us to just stop there for a moment and get the picture clearly in our minds. This guy comes along, don't know where he got his money from, but he got this piece of property. He owned this piece of property. He plants a vineyard there. He builds a tower. He makes all of the preparations necessary. He's probably just excited about the day he's going to get some fruit from this vineyard. Maybe he's rubbing his hands together in anticipation. I can't wait to get some fruit from this vineyard. But he needs to go on a journey. So he hires some vine growers. Guys, come on in. Now, from everything I can tell in this parable, these vine growers are being paid and probably being paid well. Verse 34. When the harvest time approached... He sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves, larger than the first. And they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. Hang on to that thought, because this parable, Jesus means something about this parable. So hang on to that thought, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Well, again, the Pharisees process this story very quickly. Of course, they have no idea where Jesus is going with it. 
And so they end up pronouncing their own judgment. Verse 41, they said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. A just reward for the wickedness that they had just done. And then Jesus, of course, reveals to them where he is going with this parable. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected. This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. What's going on here? Jesus is telling them a story about themselves. God planted a vineyard. He called Abraham. He said, Abraham, go to this country that I'm going to show you. I'm going to make you into a mighty nation. Later, after a period of 400 years of slavery, God calls that same nation out of Egypt and plants them in Israel. He planted a vineyard. And he was looking for good fruit. But the vine growers, the religious leaders, continually rejected what God was saying to them. If you go back into where Jesus is telling the parable, it says he, he sent a group of slaves to them. They beat one, killed another, stoned a third. This is a reference to the prophets. God sending the prophets to Israel and the Jewish leadership over and over and over again. You can read through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the, the other prophets. Daniel told me just recently he was reading through one of them. These people rejected. These leaders rejected those prophets. So that's what Jesus is describing to them. And this prophecy, the stone which the builders rejected, became the chief cornerstone, of course, is a, is a reference to Jesus himself. The leaders rejected Jesus as their Messiah, but he became cornerstone. He became our rock. And so he pronounces their judgment in verse 43. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. This verse contains both our great hope and the false teacher's condemnation. They rejected God's Messiah. Jesus pronounces their judgment in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 43 with me. This is an interesting verse. I'm sorry, verse 44. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Now that's a challenging verse to understand. Uh, But I think the best way to understand it is if we fall on Jesus in brokenness, then we will be lifted up by him. We will be healed by him. Okay, so as it began, he who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, if people will not give themselves to the Lord Jesus, it will scatter him like dust. 
So he's pronouncing their judgment there. And of course, you and I know that in 70 AD, the Romans came in and destroyed that nation. So this parable is one of the reasons, I believe, when Jesus cursed the fig tree. Remember, we talked about that last week. He cursed that fig tree, even though there, were, there weren't supposed to be any figs on it. I believe it, again, was a picture of what God was going to do to Israel. He was judging them for their rejection of the Messiah, for their not bearing any fruit at that point in their lives. So I want us to just take a couple of minutes I tell you what, before we do, was that understandable? Was that clear? Any questions about this particular parable and what Jesus is saying here? Okay, I'll assume that means no questions. So God sees the wicked. Here he's going to judge a nation, even though it's his own nation. God's judgment on the nations should not surprise us. Even though it's his own nation, God does judge them. So God sees the wicked. So why is it important that God sees the wicked? Now you can probably think of many reasons yourself, but I would just like to propose three to you this morning and have us talk about them briefly together, read a couple of different Bible passages together. Because I do think it's extremely important that we know he sees the wicked, he will deal with the wicked, he will judge the wicked. The, the first reason is this. The fact that God sees wickedness is it frees us to love and forgive. It frees us. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 12. I wish we had time to go through the whole chapter. It's a great chapter. At one point, we were memorizing it together. Uh, but Romans chapter 12, I want you to start with me in verse uh, 17. Here's what the Lord says. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Okay, a couple of, couple of negatives there. That's a pretty broad statement, right? Never. Pay back evil to, for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, the Bible's acknowledging that if, if someone else won't let there be peace, if they continually shoot rockets at you, then even though you may be trying to be peaceful, it's prevented by this other person. But so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So the first reason it's important we understand that God sees the wicked is it sets us free to love and forgive. Here we are told, we're going to read the next couple of verses too because our, our piece of this is going to be very clearly identified. But first notice that we are told not once but twice not to take our own revenge. Verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Verse 19, never take your own revenge. God is taking that responsibility out of our hands. He says, 
It's my responsibility. God says, I will take care of it. I will do it. So what's our responsibility? Verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about what that means. (laughs) But let's just really simplify it, okay? I'm pretty sure this means if you do this, if you feed your enemy when he's hungry, and you give him drink, give him a drink when he's thirsty, it's going to have a major impact on him. Okay? It's going to have a big impact on him. It can't help but do so. It's, it's surprising. It is rare. It is extremely rare. It's almost unheard of in our world. I mean, every now and then I hear about it. Like once or twice I heard about like a shooting in a church and then this church just forgives the shooter and their family. And, and the newspapers are like, Blown away. We're all blown away by events like that, by forgiveness like that. It will have an impact when we treat our enemies that way. And he goes on in verse 21 to put it another way Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. Notice we are supposed to overcome evil. But how do we do it? With good. We're to overcome evil with good. The fact that God sees evil and that he's taken it as his responsibility to take care of frees you and me to release people, to forgive people, to love people, to give the gospel to them, to love them even when they are our enemies. Okay, if you, if you struggle with that, you know, I've never had that many enemies. I, I, re, I would refer you to someone like Corey Ten Boom and the lessons that she teaches about loving her enemies because she went through Auschwitz. And she's got some powerful messages about what that accomplishes in your enemy's life. So number one, it frees us to love and forgive. Number two, The fact that God sees wickedness gives us hope for the future by clarifying that those who follow Christ will not finish last, but will actually be greatly rewarded. So the fact that God sees wickedness gives us hope for the future. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 46. Okay, we're getting practice in our Bible drills. Tell me when you're there. Aha. You guys are quick. You beat me. Good job. Psalm 46. All right, start in verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow And cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. There is a coming day when God is going to destroy the whole idea of warfare. 
He is, as it points out here, he's going to burn the chariots, break the bow, cut the spear. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. So God is going to deal with the wickedness that covers our earth one day. But he goes on in verse 10. It says, cease striving and know that I am God. You know, this, this is so interesting to me because it literally says, cease and know that I am God. In my Bible, the word striving has been added, but it's in italics. Okay? So that means that it's not there in the original language, but they thought that that word would help clarify it for us. And it does in, in some ways. But just think about it. God says, stop. And know that I am God. And he goes on to say, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be, excuse me, exalted in the earth. There's coming a day when he will be king. I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to see it. You will see it. And then he goes on to say, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. You would be wise to choose him as your king. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether it's people who have been banished from his presence forever or people who have been called into the glories of heaven, every knee will bow one day. You would be so wise to choose him. And if you're one of those who have chosen him, you have hope for the future. Because one day... It's all going to be there in front of us. I want you to turn with me to one other passage along those lines. Revelation chapter 21. This is an easy one, right? These are some of my favorite verses. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's my favorite verse to quote at the nursing home. God is making all things new. He wants to start with you and your heart today. But there's coming a day when all things will be new. And he will be here among us. So we have great hope for the future. Because God sees wickedness and he will deal with it. This is not the eternal state that we're in. Hallelujah. Number three, I'd like to give you one more thing. I know that there are probably many that um, should be an encouragement to us. But it's important that God sees wickedness because it makes us, or at least it should make us, bold. Turn with me, if you would, to Proverbs 28. If you've really been attentive, thinking through the first two things that we already talked about, you probably understand 
why we should be so bold. Probably already get that message. But I just want to read this because this spells it right out for us. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I don't know if you remember the day, but I came and told you one day that I knew that cats were wicked. Because I came out of the door and my cat just took off running the other direction as fast as he could go. And it says the wicked flee when no one's pursuing. (laughs) The righteous are as bold as a lion. You and I should be like that. Because we have God on our side, or actually I should say more accurately, we are on God's side. We are about His business. We have a mission to fulfill. It is a difficult mission. But we are in His camp. We are His sent ones, His chosen ones, His ambassadors, His soul winners. That's who we are. And we can be bold. Bold in love, bold in humility, bold to speak the truth. You know, I'm always reminded of the apostles, you know, when they started preaching after the Lord was ascended into heaven and they started preaching and then they got arrested and then they got beaten. And uh, they came back and they reported to everyone and then they all prayed together and, and they basically said to the Lord, Lord, consider their threats, but give us boldness. And they kept right on teaching and preaching about the Lord Jesus. And dear friends, this is who I think God wants us to become. Bold to love others. Bold to sacrifice for others. Bold to witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and explain his love and his message to them. People need that message. Please pray together with me. Well, Lord, we just thank you again for your word and all that it means to us, how it points us in your direction and shows us how to live life. And Lord, how it points us to your plan of salvation that we can be forgiven Because you gave your life as our substitute on the cross. We can just come to you and humbly turn away from sin and put our faith in you. Lord, if anyone is hearing this message in this room or anywhere else, I pray, dear God, that today will be their day. And Lord, I do pray that you will make us bold as lions. Because the great God is living in us. The great God has called us to be about your very own business, Lord. We love you, and we pray it together in Christ's name. Amen.